The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Introducing the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn unlimited 5% back on everything you buy at Walmart online. It's the perfect card for all your family's hints this holiday season. Like 5% back on the air fryer Grandpa told you about when he fell asleep in his chair. Mm, not fry anything. Or 5% back on the laptop your sister had carolers sing to you. Two turtle doves and a laptop for Carrie. The Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One NA. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started, because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Welcome to No Excuses with John Taffer. So, no excuses. The whole premise of this podcast is to look at excuses and people and, and see how they change our lives sometimes. And I have an unbelievable guest with me here this week. And we'll be talking to RJ in just a little while. RJ Bell is the founder of pregame.com, a two-time Inc. 5000 company, but they're the largest digital media organization covering Las Vegas news and odds. These are the guys that make all the odds that we see everywhere. Pregame is the exclusive odds maker for the Associated Press. So I always wonder when they're making odds and staring at the big board and, and how they manipulate and the fears that they have, their exposure for betting. And So I want to sort of get the skinny from R.J. Bell, and he's not going to have any excuses because I want to find out how the heck they do this so we can all understand sports odds a little better than that. And then after that, we're going to have our shut it down section. I'm going to talk to, I think, six audience people today, which will be really fun. That's my favorite part of the show. So here I am. I'm sitting in my office in Las Vegas this week, which is rare for me because I only get to spend maybe uh, eight weeks a year in my office. And, you know, certain things in life are really important to my office is very, very important to me. And I've got a really beautiful office and I'm surrounded by all my technology and all the work and everything that I do here. But, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't think about the fact that it's the 4th of July and, you know, the independence of our country. People are fighting so much with each other today. There's so much hatred. You know, if, if It seems if, if we disagree politically, we can't agree as friends anymore. And things like that really bother me. You know, I know that uh, Whoopi Goldberg is a very close friend of mine. And Whoopi and I don't agree on things politically. But she's a sweetheart. And, and I'd like to think so am I. But, you know, at this moment of the 4th of July, maybe we can look back at our history and start arguing about what is current. But there's a couple of fun things about the Declaration of Independence on July 4th that I thought you'd get a kick out of hearing. First of all, it was signed by 56 men from 13 colonies. And uh, uh, one out of eight signers of the Declaration of Independence were educated at Harvard. I thought that was interesting. Only two signers of the Declaration of Independence later served as president of the United States, Adams and Jefferson. The stars in the original American flag, they didn't get along then, obviously, were in a circle, so all the colonies would appear equal. There could be no first or last. So they were bickering right from the beginning. On July 8th, 1776, that was the day that they read the Declaration of Independence in Philadelphia to the people. They rang the Liberty Bell, and then they read it to everyone on the 8th. And the White House held its first July 4th party in really 1801. Benjamin Franklin proposed... Turkey is a national bird, but was overruled by Jefferson. 
Think about this. In, in 1776, there are only 2.5 million people living in a brand new nation. Today, our population is 316 million. You know, I had a pretty amazing weekend this weekend. I was uh, up at Shakespeare's Ranch in northern Nevada with a good friend of mine, Larry and Camille Ruvo, at an event called Keep Memory Alive Rodeo. And Keep Memory Alive is, is a brain health organization here in Las Vegas that I'm very, very involved in. And I got a chance to go up there and I got a chance to go up to Lake Tahoe and go to Shakespeare's Ranch, which is an unbelievable property with 13 houses. And I got a chance to go to uh, some extremely wealthy philanthropic people's homes. And I won't mention names, but some of them are not the most politically correct people in the world. But these are people that are really changing people's lives. And I was blown away when I went to one person's home at some of the statistics of population and what's going on today. Population is going down. In essence, in the United States, we're not having kids like we used to. And when they take a look at all the economic growth that's happening in our country today, and this is a fascinating fact that should impact you in your life, all of the growth, all of the economic growth that has happened in America, and honestly, most of the rest of the world, has happened because we're living longer, not creating more people. And that's fascinating. So the productivity from the additional years of life are making up for the fact that we're not having as many children as we should. So those years of life of productivity are now driving our economy up to like four to five percent, which is pretty unfreaking believable. It's on us, not the next generation to make things happen. It's on us to make these years work. And it's just another way of illustrating how important self-accountability is today to your future and the way your future impacts me and the people around you. If we understand that our growth is coming from the people that are here more than the people that are coming, and that it all comes down to having value and accomplishment from those extra years of our lives, that's a pretty profound thing. And, and July 4th reminds me how we together have to succeed. So maybe today, maybe this weekend, maybe on July 4th, we would agree no political arguments on July 4th. Why don't we talk about positive things for one freaking day? and not argue with each other. <laughs> Speaking of arguing with each other, to my female listeners, how would you like it if uh, uh, your future fiance took you out to buy you engagement ring and then suggested that you split it with him? Because that's what happened here. I'm reading an article, <laughs> and this is from Pop Sugar, and this guy actually asked his fiance to split a $17,000 ring. And the amazing thing is, she did. So I guess it's a different time. So guys particularly uh, those who are about to get married. Maybe there's a new financial model. Maybe we can share the cost of rings. <laughs> I wouldn't try it, but this guy obviously did. I wonder if you can lease a wedding ring. I mean, how about if it's, you know, you can sort of test drive a car. You can <laughs> sort of test drive. I wonder if you can lease a wedding band for two weeks and get maybe a 72-hour marriage license. And, and maybe <laughs> if things don't work out, you can return the wedding ring. And then you won't have to split it. You can just lease it. You know, years ago when I had all my bars and nightclubs, we used to do this promotion where we, caught, we actually issued a certificate that was a 24-hour marriage certificate. So for, I think it was $30 at the time. For $30, you got a marriage certificate. He got a cardboard top hat. She got a cardboard veil. They got a bottle of champagne and a marriage certificate that allowed him to do anything sexually that any married couple could do any place in the world. And we used to sell the heck out of them. And then we went around and we created divorce parties years later. We'd go to the court dockets and we'd get the list of all the people that were getting divorced and we would send out postcards. Congratulations on the beginning of your life. And turn it around and, you know, call us for a free divorce party. 
And when you came in for the divorce party, you'd get half a cake because your ex got the other half in theory. You get half a bottle of champagne because your ex got the other half. And we would do ah, 20, 30 divorce parties a week. We made a lot of money doing them. It's funny. So sometimes we can take the simplest things in life and turn them into great sports promotions. I was really sad to hear about this one. Toys R Us closed its last store on June 29th. And, you know, I think about all the times I went there when I was a father with my daughter. And Jeffrey, the giraffe, is going to be auctioned off. And I understand Jeffrey himself from the original store is going to a museum. But the logo, the brand, everything about it is going to be auctioned off. And it makes me think about what is the evolution of business today. And for those of us that are going into new businesses, what are the things we need to think about? You know, we know that the Amazons in the world are taking over. They're now moving into Whole Foods, into the grocery space and delivering groceries. Uh, Look, I shop on Amazon all the time. I buy so many things. It's just two clicks and it's at my house literally the next day. But at what point uh, uh, do we lose our ability of choice? At what point do we start buying things that we never touch, buying things we never smell, buying things we never feel? The first premise of sales, whether you're selling cars or whatever it is, is always to touch it, to feel it, to engage with it. And then when you do that, you connect to it and then you buy it. Certain products today are so susceptible to internet sales. Certain clothes and products are not soft goods. Some things that you have to feel still work in a bricks and mortar environment. But when we take a look at toys, you know, toys are branded, whether they're made by large toy companies or it's the hot toy of the year. Toys are a product that is pretty easy to buy online. I can look at them, I can buy them, I can get them gift wrapped, I can get them shipped, I can get them immediately. So when you think about it, toys were very susceptible to internet erosion. And in the toy sector, clearly that happened and they got eroded to the point that they're not going to have bricks and mortar operations anymore. The sad thing is they could have entered the digital space and created a digital presence for toys that might have served them better, but they didn't have that strategic foresight. So when you think about the kind of businesses that you're in or the kind of businesses you're thinking about going in, you really need to think about internet erosion today and and what is the future going to hold and what kind of products just lend themselves to being purchased on the internet and what kind of products don't. Now, restaurants, well, gee, I'd eat in a restaurant. Hold on. Uber Eats has changed that model, hasn't it? Now I can sit home. I can order my food online. I can order my my booze online, my beer online, I can get my groceries delivered online, I can get my electronics delivered online. So what are the things that we need to go out for anymore? And if we don't create stores and experiences and environments that people want to come to, they're just not going to. They're going to click through rather than come to. And that's a serious economic change. The good news about that is the fact that the employment is now getting so low. So if technology and internet sales starts to reduce the labor of uh, a burden on payroll and the amount of people we need to hire, well, that might be actually good because we're reaching a point where we're starting to cap out. I know here in Las Vegas, if you want a job, you can get one. Anyway, we should all take a moment and think, you know, when stores like Toys R Us and years ago Montgomery Ward and stores like Sears are in trouble today and Kmart are in trouble, whenever we lose legacy brands like that, it's really, really sad. And maybe they should have been a bit more aggressive. I'm a diehard Yankee fan, guys, and and, uh, July 22nd is uh, my favorite episode of Bar Rescue ever airs on July 22nd. You don't want to miss this episode. I go down to Puerto Rico to a completely level town, and I'm going to rescue a bar, a community center, a baseball field, a basketball court, and I'm going to try to rescue the entire town. And it was an incredibly emotional two weeks for me. 
very, very difficult. And in doing so, I got the chance to work a little bit with the Yankees. And uh, there's an ex-Yankee player who's going to meet me down in Puerto Rico whose name I don't want to mention. But I've had the opportunity to work with the Yankee organization. And it's really neat that Yankee stars and celebrities raise a million dollars at CC Sabathia's softball game. And that million dollars is going to go to support children, inner city communities, underprivileged kids in inner city communities. And it's, it's really terrific that a bunch of celebrities can get together and raise a million dollars. And there's no administrative cost, all those dollars. In fact, they're going to go to charity. I think that's pretty terrific. So July 22nd, I want to make sure that you set your DVRs. And uh, I believe this is, if there is a bar rescue episode, that's a swan song and the best one ever. I think this is it. Uh, July 22nd, uh, um, set your DVRs and uh, don't miss that episode. And you'll see some ex-Yankee players. Uh, you ah, might as well let the cat out of the bag. Mark Cuban is going to come down and help me. Bethany Frankel is going to come down and help me. Bernie Williams is going to come down and help me. And you'll see them all on July 22nd, the very, very special Bar Rescue episode. By the way, if you haven't, hit subscribe at Apple Podcast. Go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app, and you can hear brand new episodes every Tuesday. Tuesday's a great day for a new podcast episode. We need a little energy in the beginning of the week. You know, you get Bar Rescue, you get a nice hit of that on Sunday night. Monday, you go to the office. Tuesday, you get a podcast. So I thought that was the perfect day to launch my podcasts. So R.J. Bell. When I think of R.J. Bell, I think of somebody who, who must be, A, a statistical genius, B, must be a marketing genius, because to take the whole premise of Vegas odds and sports odds and turn it into a multi, multi-million dollar business and a website, pregame.com, is a pretty powerful thing. RJ has learned how, how to take information and just create success from it. But there's a couple of questions I had for him. And one of the big ones was, this hockey season, and those of you who know me well know I made a number of bets, and I lost a couple of them with Las Vegas Golden Knights. I am a Golden Knights nutcase. This year, at the beginning of the season, the odds for the Golden Knights winning the Stanley Cup were between 500 and 600 to 1. So you think to yourself, this is a Las Vegas team. This is a Las Vegas town. How many people actually bet on them at 500 to 1? And was the city worried? And when there's odds like that and thousands and thousands of people betting on odds like that, what do they do? And how do they react to that? So that's a big question that I have for RJ. I can't wait to talk to him. So in a couple of minutes, we'll be right back with RJ Bell. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Introducing the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn unlimited 5% back on everything you buy at Walmart online. It's the perfect card for all your family's hints this holiday season. Like 5% back on the air fryer Grandpa told you about when he fell asleep in his chair. He didn't fry anything. Or 5% back on the laptop your sister had carolers sing to you. The Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart Online. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One NA. You want to know what I think? Here it is. Here's Taffer's take. This year, an expansion team in hockey, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, were told that they would stink. They were 500 to 1 that they would make it to the Stanley Cup Finals, and they did. They're living proof that the one thing about sports is unpredictability. Anybody can be a hero in a moment. Can you? Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. It's always fun to have another 
Las Vegas person on with me, especially one who's so close to what I love, the sports business. RJ, welcome to my podcast. Hey, John, my pleasure. I'm a fan, and uh, this should be a fun conversation with uh, Vegas guys. Uh, you know, uh, RJ Bell is uh, 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 one of a, the legends in the game of sports betting. His company is the largest sports betting media company compliant with U.S. law, pregame.com. And when did you start it, RJ? How old is it? Right around 2005. And, you know, the evolution has really been uh, turbocharged, I think, with this legalization. And, you know, sports betting, very popular. It's gotten more popular in the media, in the sports media. A few years ago, I did a, a solo presentation at South by Southwest and the, the main topic was how odds are the framework of so much sports discussion. And that's been the case for years now. But now with the legalization and, this, and the Supreme Court allowing the states to decide, it really has been uh, turbocharged the interest in sports betting. So is what you're going through similar to the cannabis industry? Because when the laws change in those states, everybody scurried to get licensing in every state. And there's a process. Is that sort of what you're going through right now? Just securing up as many states as you can? Well, think about it this way. It's very close, but I think there's probably two distinctions. One is we are a media company, pregame.com. So let's think of it like an ESPN or Fox Sports, but with a, with a niche subject matter, right? We're talking about the odds more than the general game. Whereas the bookies, the bookmakers, the sports books, they take the bets. So in cannabis, I would say if we extended the analogy, the ones who are selling the cannabis are the bookmakers yep. and we're, we're in the support side of the business. What side of the business do you function in every day? Are you in leadership? Are you on the odd side? What is your love in the business? Yeah, so pregame.com, we are the official odds provider for the Associated Press. Uh, we're in 750 newspapers through the AP every day and over 1,000 websites. But mostly, I think of myself as a, as a better, as a player advocate. The reality is, and you know, this is a business that's, quite frankly, very incestuous. It's, it's been small. There's a small group of you know, 100 or 200 people in Nevada yep. And they all know each other and they're all feeding, quite frankly, you know, off the, you know, off the chow line. And to me, for an industry to really grow, you need there to be watchdogs out there looking at the bookmakers and saying, are you treating the players right? So so then by, by, by the legalization and the expansion of your industry, you see an opportunity for it to get better. Absolutely, because it's going to be more. Darwinian. It's competitive. I'm with you. Okay, I got a question for you. You know I'm I'm a Las Vegas Golden Knights nutcase. I think you know that, RJ. Yes, I do. And uh, uh, sports comes to the city of Las Vegas, our first national franchise. The odds were posted at the beginning of the season. Correct me if I'm wrong, 600 to 1? You know, the number that was the most common was 500 to 1 initially, but in that range for sure. Yep. So 500 to one. Do you have any idea how many people would have made that bet? Yes. Here, here's the unequivocal fact. And, and I think one to lament now in hindsight, if the Golden Knights had 
won that last series, won yep. the Stanley Cup. Yep. It would have been the biggest loss in Nevada history, which means the biggest win for the batters on any title winning team on future odds. So uh, another example of a huge payout w- was the Rams in 99. They were about 300 to one. Uh, yep. Kurt Warner, you might remember, was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he had been bagging groceries not that long before. So the idea of 500 to one, it would have been the biggest long shot to win this century and even further back, really. And it would have been a huge loss for the books because think about it. In general, fans like to have souvenir tickets. They call them 10 bucks to yep. win 5,000. But in Vegas, it's so much easier to have a souvenir. You know, so many cab drivers, so many bartenders, so many, we'll say exotic dancers had those $10 tickets in their pocket. And it would have been a huge loss for the bookmakers. Now, obviously, the dollars follow the odds to some degree. But when you watch this, uh, how much of an emotional factor is there? And obviously, when people are buying Las Vegas Golden Knights to win the Stanley Cup in October at 500 to 1, that's a leap of faith. <laughs> There's no question about that. But generally speaking, how many people are just voting, uh, uh, just betting on their team rather than playing the stats? Great, great question. I think you've got some of that betting on their team. And probably the best example of that would be the Cubs, right? Prior to the World Series recently, this was the team. It was like, you know, year after decade waiting for the Cubs to win. And it was almost a type of uh, perversion, uh, perverseness, (laughs) the idea of I'm still rooting for him. I still put that 20 bucks on the Cubs to win. Now, there's another element, which is betting the popular team. Because in a weird way, if you think about at the psychological level, John, what a bet is, you're saying, I want to be on this person's side. And it's human nature to want to be on the side of the stronger person. So let's say, or team. So let's say the Patriots, obviously successful, pedigreed in the NFL. Let's say the Patriots are playing the Tampa Bay Bucks, right? Which not pedigreed in the mm-hmm. NFL. If, you, if I tell you, you can have... The Patriots, and oh, by the way, you've got to lay 10 points, minus 10. Or, hey, take Tampa Bay here, go against Brady, go against Belichick, but you're going to get 10 points. And the spread is the great equalizer. Most people, the power of those points versus the power of me and Tom Brady have the same goal, well, they go with Tom Brady. So I would say the bigger driver of the, the visceral, the gut betting, is, is not fandom as much as wanting to be behind betting with the better team. So are there times that you guys are looking at the big board and saying to yourselves, oh, shit. <laughs> are there? Are there moments where you say, for example, the Knights, when they make it to the cup in the first place, there's got to be a, a number of people saying, uh-oh. Oh, no doubt. And But here's the thing. You can't have any sympathy for the bookies i mean i'll, I'll tell you a quick story so i grew up in a small town i started betting when i was 14 the, the spot sheets came out of the coal mines dad was a coal miner mom a school teacher you know there was no internet back then i started getting pretty good at this uh, you know i had a natural talent at it and there was a bookie in the small town that i was beating you know probably let's say eight out of ten weeks so you know pretty consistently and this guy's like 55 I'm going to figure out what you're doing and you're going to pay. I mean, it was like hostile. 
you would think 99 winners and one loser would be enough. No, these bookies want all the money. <laughs> Years ago, it's funny how sports betting uh, or betting with friends can affect relationships. Years ago, I went down to Miami Highlight with a friend. I had never been a Highlight before. And I'm watching and they're throwing a ball back and forth. You've seen Highlight, RJ. Yes. And uh, I bet a trifecta. And I bet my birth date on the year I was born. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. <laughs> well, I bet $40 and I won $8,600. I won the trifecta, which is amazing to win anything in high light because the guy who's great this game sucks the next game. You can't figure the thing out at all. The friend that I went with never spoke to me again after oh, I won that money. Well, probably not a good friend. <laughs> he, he, he used to go to highlight all the time and lose a fortune. He took me one night. I won $8,600. Our relationship was never the same. So it's funny how, how betting can become so emotional. When well, we look at sports, you know, we have, what, roughly 82 hockey games. We have, you know, our weeks of football. We have all of our baseball games, NBA games. In a dollar volume standpoint, which sport gets the most bet volume? I'm guessing oh. football. NFL is king. I mean, on a per-game basis, it's the king, and it's not even close. Let's use the Super Bowl, which is the biggest bet game as a reference point. Yep. So let's say the Super Bowl is 100%. That's the most being bet on any given game. Even something like the national championship game in college football would only have about 15% of that. But in the NFL, you get people who won't make bets any other time of the year They'll bet the NFL. And what's interesting is, you know, I was on the advisory board of NFL Enterprises, and I get credit for creating Sunday Ticket. I saw uh, that. So what? I, I'm sure you told this story. If you don't mind, give me the elevator version of how sure. you came up with that. Sure. You know, uh, people had played with the concept of out-of-market sports programming, that you could be in Los Angeles and buy a Dallas Cowboy game. So people have played around with that before. Uh, uh, but there was a company called CompSat, who hired my consulting company to do the feasibility study of buying out-of-market sports programming for bars and restaurants. So we went, we did a feasibility study, we made economic models, put it all together, gave it to them, got a nice check, and they said to us, this is really great work, John. If we did sell this product, what would it look like? And this wasn't the NFL, this was a company called ComSat, who does pay-per-view movies and, and hotel systems and things like that. So the second piece of work we did was we defined what we thought the network would look like promotionally, marketing, ad slicks, all the materials operators would need. And at the same time, compression began, which was a different type of satellite transmission that allowed us to get multiple signals on a common transponder. ComSat came back after the second document and said, wow, this is really great. Who would buy it? And then we did a third document listing all the chains and such that would buy it, RJ. And then uh, ComSat took our three pieces of work, the feasibility, the product development, and the universe, and brought it to the NFL to license it. The NFL looked at it and said, you know, this is an amazing business model. Let's do it ourselves. And they put me on a advisory board uh, for three years, and I helped create and roll out Sunday Ticket. So I don't say that I invented it because the premises out-of-market sports programming existed before. I say I created it because nobody put all of that programming in one place and built the model that way. I got a chance to, to see the NFL from the inside out in those days. And I've always wondered this question for years, and I've never spoken to anyone who can answer it for me. Did the NFL Sunday ticket impact sports betting? I think so for sure because, and I don't have any exact data to back that up, rather just 
my experience is, and, and I get asked this all the time, you know, I do, uh, you know, during the off season, about a dozen weekly radio hits and then during the football season, more towards 20. And one of my most common questions is, well, how much do they bet on the WNBA or how much do they bet on sport XYZ? And my answer is always the same. Whatever the general interest is in the sport and a good proxy for that is going to be TV ratings. That's going to be very correlated to the amount bet. People bet on sports they care about. And they don't bet on sports they don't. So what did the Sunday ticket do? It would seem it got people engaged in more games than the games that they were just getting on their local cable carrier. And they're connecting and, to players, and, and, and they're just yes. becoming more emotionally engaged in it all. Sure, so they're betting more. That makes perfect sense. And, and, and I think there's two levels of it. You're talking about the more macro level of as the weeks go by, you're going to be more engaged. I'm talking about it's Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. You're not getting a second game locally uh, this week, and you say, oh, look, so-and-so's playing. I'm going to watch that game. That's a good matchup. But, no, oh, by the way, I'm going to bet 50 bucks on it. I think it's direct that week also. Are you allowed to bet? Oh, for sure. It's, it's one of the things because my, though, with the Associated Press, we're given official odds. Otherwise, you know, we're a media company. And it's almost, you know, it'd be a funny analogy, but it'd be almost like saying, okay, does the guy from Variety get to go to the movies? Okay, so this year is pretty typical. You're, you're betting as is normal this year as far as your volume? You know, here's the thing. You're going to be surprised. I'm going to ask you the next question. You up or down on the year? I, I would say this is I'm winning. And, and probably what I'm most proud of, I, I'll answer twice, two ways quickly. One is I probably win annually four out of five years is a fair thing to say. But here's the catch 22. What happened five years ago is very different than what's happening today, meaning the markets are evolving so quickly that the inefficiencies and really the only way you can win at sports betting is to exploit the inefficiencies in the market. The inefficiencies are getting more and more narrow. And I think you would probably be surprised. I'm going to say this, but we're proud of saying it. It is extremely hard to win at sports betting. And if someone's listening and they're a casual sports better and they're thinking, Oh, I'm going to go find RJ on Twitter and I'm going to start winning. Probably not. I can not guarantee, but I can strongly say I'll help you do better. We'll help you do better. But getting to that threshold of winning, about 3% of sports bettors win. Okay, you're about to get cornered here. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Mr. Big Mouth, who wins four out of five years in a row. <laughs> Mr. Gets to see the I big board. That was hum- I thought that was humble, but go ahead. <laughs> Mr. Gets to see the big board. Mr. Knows his odds. Can you make a call for this this season of NFL? I'm going to go, and, and I like to go with with decent long shots in the NFL, but not crazy long shots. It's very rare that a team worse than 30 to 1 wins the title. So usually I would say look 30 to 1 or better. And I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings. Ooh. Minnesota is a team that's not football sexy and – you know, touchdowns and covers of magazines and their defense and fundamentals. Zimmer is probably the second best coach in the NFL behind Belichick. And they've got a new quarterback. And and Keenum had a good year. But I think there's a sense of all in for Minnesota. And I think they're better than people think the Vikings. 
And let's just talk about Vegas before we say goodbye. Las Vegas is greater than it's ever been as a tourist destination. You agree, RJ? I do. And and what I'd say quickly is I've been here since 98. So 20 years in uh, January, so it's a little bit more now. Is this has always been a very transient town. People come, people go. The sense of community was very limited. The combination, obviously unfortunate, of the shooting. And then it sounds maybe goofy, but the Golden Knights, I have felt more community in Vegas in the last year or so than probably in the 19 prior years. And to me, that's a great step in the growth of the city. Oh, it is. We've got the greatest restaurants now, the greatest shows, the greatest, largest hotels. You know, we have the greatest attractions now. We have professional sports. So if you haven't been to Vegas in a while, what are you waiting for? Remember, what happens here stays here, right, RJ? That's what I hear, but they say herpes doesn't. That's what I no, learned. Herpes on. doesn't. Your money that, typically that was, stays here when you leave. I just heard that through though. the hangover. Buddy, take care. Let's do this again soon, okay? <laughs> Thanks, John. So to think that the Las Vegas Golden Knights could have wiped out the Las Vegas sportsbook, their very own city could have taken them down. That's what I find fascinating about sports odds making. And, and RJ was really, really revealing today. So it was great to have him. Listen, hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts, go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app, and you can hear a brand new episode every Tuesday. If you want to talk to me, send me an email at podcast at johntaffer.com. You can also find me on Facebook at John Taffer, at John Taffer on Twitter, and John Taffer on Instagram. But right now, go subscribe at Apple Podcast or podcastone.com. This is my favorite part of the show. This is where I get a chance to talk Shut to you down. about anything you really want to talk about. So who do we have today? John, we've got Nicole from Orange County who is starting a new business with her husband and wants some advice on future clients and how to deal with it. Aha, uh-huh. so I see, Nicole, you're, you're a photographer. Yes, I am. And your husband has worked in, uh, what business was he in before? Uh, he's worked for various nine-to-five jobs that he's not like very much. <laughs> okay. You know, just putting in, the, putting in the work. Yep, so the two of you are starting a company. And, oh, we're starting uh, a coaching uh, company, actually. Oh, you're starting a coaching company. I got you. Yeah. And, and what is your passion? What do you want to coach? So we're going to help startup companies basically get all of that foundational stuff, anything from like filling out legal paperwork, like their LLCs yep. and um, to branding, which is what I'm well versed in, I guess you can say. So do you want to charge a fee for these services in essence as a consulting company? Yes. Obviously, that, that that's a business that there's an opportunity for. Most coaching services tend to charge monthly fees or weekly fees for accessing coaches. There's an organization you should look into because they do what you want to do called SCORE and mm-hmm. SCORE.org, S-C-O-R-E.org. They have about 13,000 mentors, retired business executives who help small businesses start. So they give them uh, support on SBA loans, structure, budget, financials, and SCORE.org does that. So there are companies that provide those services for free. Let me caution you on two things. One, when you're going to go into business with your husband, you cannot be husband and wife when you work together. Families support each other in weakness. You have to be a team. You have to have defined objectives and you can't let each other down. So when you're working on a business, it's got to be all business. If you let each other down, there has to be accountability. The next rule is when you walk through the front door of your house at six o'clock at night, you do not talk business. 
You can't have a failing business create a failing marriage. You can't have a business that's losing money take the, take the fuel and love out of a marriage. You must separate the two. And I speak to you Absolutely. from experience. I got divorced <laughs> from my first wife over that. And have you done any budgets yet? Uh, no, we're literally just starting out. We just want to right. get him out of his nine to five. That's our goal. <laughs> gotcha. Well, last thing I want to leave you with is a budget. Whatever you plan on, make sure you realize, Nicole, it's probably going to cost more and take longer. Mm-hmm. So your revenues are going to probably start a few weeks later than you think they will. Getting there is probably going to cost more than you think it will. And my experience tells me that more businesses run out of money that could have been successful than are actually failures. So make sure you have the money to give it a good shot. Give it the time to get over the bumps and the disappointments. Keep it straight business. And my <laughs> guess is uh, with, with your attitude, you'll be successful. Did I help you? Awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. I just don't want to kill kill each other, you know. <laughs> no, that's why you have to have rules. You can have a lousy business day and then still come home and have a romantic dinner. That's really important. <laughs> okay? Awesome. Yes, Take thank care. you so much for your help. Well, that was fun. Who's our next caller? So Melissa's in Leesburg, Florida, and uh, mm-hmm. she wants to know what has been your most successful grassroots marketing tactic to date. Hi, Melissa. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. So you want to know... Uh, uh, what kind of viral and, and impactful marketing plans I've done in the past that have excited me? Uh, what, we're, what I'm really curious about is um, community-based, low-cost, um, feet-on-the-ground style marketing. What kind of business are you thinking of doing? Uh, my husband and I are hoping to own our own bar. Okay. Here's one of my best ones ever. If you're going to open up a new bar, here's what I want you to do. About four to five weeks before you open, I want you to wrap the entire building in white sheets. I want you to take red paint and I want you to put top secret all over those sheets. I then want you to take a picture of you and your husband with an armed guard in front of it. Nobody's allowed inside. Nobody's allowed to know what it is. You can't tell them. If you tell them, you're going to have to kill them. That's how serious you keep this a secret. Everybody's going to drive by that business and see that top secret sign and they're going to start talking about it. Send the pictures to the newspaper of you with the armed guard, top secret all over the sheets. Ten days before you open, I want you to put a big Velcro sign on those same sheets wrapped in the building. Open in ten days. Next day, nine days. Eight, seven, six, five, four. Watch the excitement build in the marketplace as you count that down. Then on opening day, the sheets come down and you unveil it. And you will generate six weeks of buzz, photographs, and energy from a bunch of sheets in red paint. How's that? That sounds like a great idea. Very unique. That's what you need to do. You need to get noticed. Remember, first it starts with getting your eye, then you get their body, then you get their wallet. If you got to put blinking neon in the windows, that's what you do. You must move their eye. Make sense? Yes. Thank you for your great advice. My pleasure. Good luck. Shut them down, Thank okay? You so much. Shut it down. All right. Great advice. Let's go to the next one. Yeah, so we're going to go to uh, Charles Logan. Hey, Charles. John here. Hey, good to talk to you. Same here. So you're a little concerned with Initiative 77 and and industry wages going up to $15 an hour. Are you a service person or a business owner or manager? What is your role in the industry? I've been a a part-time bartender for about uh, two years now in the city. And... uh, and, you know, the money's really great on weekends, you know, people going out and stuff. And, yep. um, you know, with this $15 an hour going to uh, put that high labor cost on the owners and stuff, 
you know, there's probably going to be a service charge and everything on food that instead of going to me as a, as a tipped employee, it's going to go to the, to the, to the business to be able to pay for that wage. Yeah, I'm completely against Initiative 77. And when we take a look at cities like New York, Manhattan did this. Over a 1,000 restaurants have closed already. And, you know, when you think about the fact that we're doubling the labor expense of an owner, we're doubling it. No business can can deal with a labor cost that's doubled overnight without increasing pricing. So you're right. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to attach a service charge or, or some type of, of, of an element to the check to cover the differences. What the legal distinction will be, and you'll notice this, it'll say a service charge on a check. It won't use the word gratuity because the gratuity would mm-hmm. have to go to you legally, whereas the service charge mm-hmm. would go to them. What happens is uh, uh, um, they're going to make less money in the end. You're not going to have the same relationship with the customers that you had because they're paying mm-hmm. a service fee rather than tipping you. And I think the bar loses as well. You know, that's what worries me is when process and accounting fees and service charges get between us and our customers. That's where I think we pay the biggest price. Anyway, good talking to you, buddy. Good luck. Good talking to you, John. Thank you. Hi, Aaron. You're on with John Taffer. Hey, how are you, John? Good. You're in White Plains, are you? Yeah, I sure am. I, I was born in Scarsdale, so from your neck oh of the woods. Oh, my God. <laughs> we, we were practically neighbors at one time. I guess we were. So you're worried about robot bartenders and automation in the bar business? Well, I'm worried about the onset of automation replacing a lot of human jobs. Yeah. And I was, I've been meditating on that whole topic lately, and it occurred to me that even though I'm reading in a lot of travel-related trade journals that cruise ship passengers are reacting very positively to these razzle-dazzle robot bartenders, I think there's another side to it that they're perfectly capable of, of executing the craft of making a cocktail, the robot precision. But I think a really good bartender is not just a technician. They also create social interactions and a social experience. And I don't think you can automate that. You know, I, I did an article uh, a year or two ago when I was interviewed by the National Restaurant Association about how any technology that gets between a, a, a service a, a employee and a guest, to me, I'm against. And if it makes you feel any better... A friend I know spent millions of dollars and opened up a robot bar in Las Vegas. Now, Las Vegas is the town that you go do things you don't do in other places. You can open up things in Vegas that won't succeed in other places because people are only here. 42 million people come as tourists and they'll try new things. It failed in about 60 days. And, and, And the fact of the matter is you're exactly right. First of all, somebody who comes into a bar alone is certainly not going to interact with a robot. So the solo customer disappears when the bartender disappears. The other element becomes, is the robot going to upsell you? Is he going to cross-sell you? Is he going to sell you food properly? Is he going to make you smile? Is he going to make you laugh? Is he going to make you feel relevant and important? And, And you're exactly right, Aaron. Those are the things that scare the heck out of me. Bartenders have three responsibilities. One, develop a relationship with the customer that gets them back. Two, follow recipes and standards and produce the product properly and three count the money properly the robot gets two out of the three but the third one is the biggest one of all and i'm with you 100 percent. i believe that we're going to have to manage robotics flipping hamburgers is one thing being up at the front of the house uh, uh, being a bartender is another now here's what we're gonna see we are going to see institutional bartenders disappear no question about it so bartenders in sports arenas, bartenders in the back of the house and service bars and concert venues, all of those bartenders are going to disappear for dispensing systems. 
So we're going to lose those back-of-the-house bartenders to systems. The question really becomes, as we look forward to the next few years, how many of the front-of-the-house bartenders do we lose to that? I don't think it's very, very many. And if the process happens, I believe it's going to be about a 20-year process because customers are not going to accept it so readily. Right, there has to be an adjustment period. It's going to be, have to be a pretty long adjustment period because, you know, the fact of the matter is you know, a tourist bar is one thing. You go, you have fun, you look around, you leave. But a local bar, uh, uh, it just – you're turning it into uh, – years ago, there used to be a restaurant chain called the Horton Hardot Automat where you put money in a machine and you opened the little glass door and you took your sandwich out. It didn't last very long. We can't turn bars into machines. They're human by nature. And if we take the human interaction out of them, I think that, that we're going to destroy the bar business. So I'm with you 100%, Aaron. I say we shut them down. What do you say? <laughs> John, shut them down. Shut I totally down. agree. I love audience calls. You know, and to think that I could have provided some advice that might change some of their lives a little bit. And that's really inspiring to me. So I love when these calls come in. So send me an email at podcast at johntafford.com podcast at johntafford.com and I'll get you on the show and, and you and I can talk together and we'll answer some of your questions or see where you want to go. Also, you can find me at Facebook, at Twitter, at John Taffer, and at Instagram is John Taffer. And please hit subscribe at Apple Podcast, go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app and you can hear brand new episodes every Tuesday. Think of it, Tuesday, the best part of the week to give us a little jolt to get us over that Wednesday hump. So that does it for this installment of No Excuses. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. Introducing the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn unlimited 5% back on everything you buy at Walmart online. It's the perfect card for all your family's hints this holiday season. Like 5% back on the air fryer Grandpa told you about when he fell asleep in his chair. He didn't fry anything. Or 5% back on the laptop your sister had carolers sing to you. Two turtle and a laptop for Carrie. The Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A.